All right, let's pray and jump into it. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for showing up here today and getting us answers to questions. Father, I thank you for a spirit of wisdom, revelation knowledge of you and your word, enlighten the eyes of understanding. Give each individual here, Rhema, speak to them, Father, exactly where they're at, what they need to hear uh, in order to make course corrections so that we can grab a hold of everything that Jesus paid for us to have. And I thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, righteousness, God's equity, part two. Go to the first one. All right, we saw this uh, last week that uh, the, the actual Greek word for righteousness is the word equity. And so we're trying to get you to take righteousness out of your vocabulary and replace it with the word equity because that's exactly what the literal word is. Now, the religious community is bandied about this word righteousness. So I really, I, I hate to use religious words because the meanings have warped down through the years. So when you see righteousness in your Bible, you think equity. Now, the first definition of equity, this is all review from last week. first definition of equity is this. That is the net value of real property determined by subtracting the amount of unpaid debt secured against the property from the appraised value of the property. That's a legal definition for if you went and bought a house, say the house is worth $200,000, and you put $25,000 down, and you got a $175,000 mortgage, right? The equity in the house would be how much? 25000 because the house is worth 200000 you have mortgaged or you have a debt of 175 against it. Now, I use my mom and daddy as an example because they paid their house off. They did it the American Dream way. They had it for 30 years. Now they have 100% equity in their house. I mean, you know, the equity raises every year as property values go up. Okay, so you all understand that's what equity. When you see the word righteousness, it's equity. Now remember, God's equity from covenant for rookies by humility and the fear of the Lord is what? Riches, honor, and life. That's God's equity. When you join the covenant, you get equity with God. He calls you righteous. He calls you one who has equity. And his equity is riches, honor, and life. That's what he gives you. That's what's part of the covenant. Go to the next one. We saw that there's three types of righteousness in the Bible. Not two, but three. There's the unrighteous, the self-righteous, and the righteous. Go to the next one for me. The unrighteous is this. An individual that has no standing with God. He's refused to be accepted by God. What do you mean refute? Because God says, I don't hold anything against the world in 2 Corinthians 5. He's got his arms open wide and he says, I don't hold anything against you. Now, somebody that does not have any equity with God, an unrighteous person, refuses that acceptance. Or, you know what, God's just not on their radar screen. He, he just, they don't even think about them. It's just they're a natural person and they're really, they're bankrupt. They have no equity with God. They have no covenant. They're just, God's not on the radar. Now, listen, this is not a wicked person per se. And I told you this last week, I'd rather deal with an unrighteous person any day of the week, to be honest with you. Because this person here, they'll recognize with no baggage and not judging you that, you're like, that, that you have something that they want. And what they want is equity. They don't want the God part of it necessarily, but they want the equity that you have. And they won't judge you with whatever they're, you know, they don't bring the religious baggage. Then I'd rather deal with an unrighteous person any day of the week because I'm in the driver's seat in that relationship. Right, somebody who has equity against somebody who doesn't have equity, who's going, to be the, who's going to be the top dog? The person with equity. So I'd rather deal with an unrighteous person any day of the week. Go to the next one. This is the person that ooh, gives me uh, chills up and down my spine. I can't stand this kind of person. It's a self-righteous person. This is an individual who attempts to make their own standing with God by doing or not doing a certain set of behaviors, i.e. religious people. Now, this is somebody who tries to build their own equity with God and they try to create their own covenant with God. And it's not just Christians. It's any religion in the world. It's Islam. It's Judaism. It's Hindus, Sikhs, uh, Buddhists. Anybody that does a certain checklist in order to create equity with God. All those religions, that's what every religion does. It teaches you to do a set of behaviors and don't or shun another set of behaviors in order to build equity with God, whatever your idea of God is according to that religion. This is, a, this is crazy. This is nuts. You can't build your own equity with God. But 95 or even higher percent of Christians are in this category. Even though they wouldn't tell you that they're self-righteous, certainly not, because it's kind of an insult. Yet they'll do the behaviors or shun other behaviors. What I call the, two good, the good checklist and the bad checklist, right? We go to church every time the doors open. We pray every day. We feed the homeless. That's the good one, right? And the bad one is we don't cuss, drink, smoke, or chew or go out with those who do. And if we, you know, make sure our checklists are in order, then we can build equity with God. He'll like me better. Dangerous person. Very dangerous kind of person to be around. Go to the next one. This is the third one. Righteous. Say, that's me. That's me. This is an individual who has equity with God. You received when God said, I don't hold anything against you. You said, that's awesome. And you just believe that what Jesus did was enough. 
See, because if you have to do something, then what you're saying is that what Jesus did wasn't enough. He didn't cut it. And I don't think anybody in their right mind would really say that Jesus didn't cut the mustard in, in, in Christianity. Would you? You're not really a Christian then, are you? Yet that's what people do with self-righteous people, right? Is they try to build their own equity. They're saying Jesus didn't cut it. But not us, because we just believe that what Jesus did was enough. So because of that, we get equity, 100% equity with God. And it's part of the covenant. Go to the next one. Now, we saw this also last week. I want to hit it real quick. That anytime you see the word righteous or righteousness, it, de- it denotes a red flag somebody as being in the covenant. Somebody that's in covenant. So when you see righteous, if, if the Bible says that somebody is righteous, that's somebody that's in covenant. If it doesn't call you righteous, it doesn't call somebody righteous, they're not in covenant. Now, that doesn't seem really important right now, but when we talk about Job, you understand that the Bible didn't call Job righteous because he didn't have a covenant. And so that might help us understand when we get to that part of the series that because Job didn't have a covenant, he didn't have equity with God, he was at the mercy of a different set of uh, rules. And, And so that's why God created covenants so that wouldn't happen again. Now go to the next one. We saw that the legal definition of covenant, this is very important because it says that a covenant is a legally binding contract or a compact or agreement under seal. But more than that, its validity is automatic in a court of equity. Now, what's righteousness? Remember what the exact word for righteousness was? Was what? Equity. So I know that a covenant is automatic, not in a court of law, but in a court of equity. We might want to find out what a court of equity is since that's where a covenant is adjudicated. Is that too big a word for you? Okay, good. Sometimes I get crazy, right? Go to the next one. A court of equity. Here's what a court of equity is. Equity is fairness or justice, and specifically it is a name given to a whole entire area of law that deals with disputes between persons when neither of them has done anything against the law. But there is a conflict between their rights and their claims. Now, how does that affect us? Now, listen. Satan is now the one who's in charge of this planet because Adam gave it over to him, right? Did he get it illegally? No, Satan didn't steal it. Adam gave it to him. Y'all following that? So did Satan do anything illegal in this sense? So he didn't break the law. Yet, now it's his planet, but he's creating sickness and disease and lack, right? And I'm on the planet too, and you know what? I didn't do anything against the law. Did I turn it over to him? Did you? Who did it? So, under a court of law, Satan's in the driver's seat. But under a court of equity, neither of us have done anything against the law, but somebody's violating somebody's rights. Right? I mean, no, I I shouldn't... Making me sick, that's a violation of my rights. That's my body. He shouldn't be in it. That's my checkbook. He shouldn't be taking nothing out of it. It's a violation of my rights. Do you all follow this? Under a court of law, we're juiced. Under a court of equity, ah, now we can sit down and have a conversation about whose rights are getting violated. Go to the next one. Here's the second definition of equity. It's a venerable or holy group of rights and procedures that provides fairness. That's a novel concept, isn't it? Right? Unhampered by the narrow strictures of the law or technical requirements. Have you ever heard that? You know, we got off by a technicality. Right? I know a lot of bad people that get off by technicalities, and there's a lot of good people that get snagged by technicalities in the law. When I was a cop, I saw both of it happen. Right? Especially in like criminal domestic violence, where the wife knows that if she says she's scared, he has to go to jail. Even if he didn't do nothing, I got to take him to jail. It's a technicality of the law. Even if he didn't say that, she's just wanting to send him away for the night. Or vice versa, same thing. If he says he's scared, and that's happened before, right? And then I'm taking her to jail. See, so, but what happens is under equity, technicalities don't matter. There is no, oh, you forgot to read me my Miranda rights, so. Oh, and there's no, that evidence can't count because the search warrant was executed wrong, right? Or you didn't have probable cause. The fruit of the poison tree, you know, all those uh, law shows that you watch, and then the evidence gets thrown out. That's all technicalities. We're going to throw the confession out because it was under duress. Right? All those, under equity, that don't, no, that doesn't fly. There ain't no technicalities. Okay? Now, in essence, the courts do the fair thing, uh, shocking, right? Uh, by court orders such as correction of property lines, taking possession of assets, imposing a lien or dividing assets, injunctive relief, and that's ordering a person to do something. And what they do is they prevent irreparable damage from happening. That's the beauty of the court equity. 
you, the court of equity will stop the thing from happening before it's irreparable damage in your life. Go to the next one. Now, a court of equity contrasted with law. Here's what law does. A court of law relies on the legal principles found in common law. That's the Ten Commandments. Common law is derived from the Ten Commandments. It also goes with statutes and ordinances, which is laws that Congress makes, or the city council or the county council, right? And, right, it looks at past case law or case history where how did judges look at this same kind of event earlier on. That's why everybody's so upset about when Supreme Court justices get on, they want to know how do they interpret case law. Prior cases. Well, in equity, go to the next one, we don't have any of that. Equity, you know what? What matters is this, the facts of the specific case or circumstance that you're in right now. And the stuff is based solely on the judge's discretion. The judge has the final say. And it doesn't matter what the written law is. It doesn't matter what the common law is. It doesn't matter what past case history law is. What matters is exactly what happened to you right now and what's going on. And let's see what's the fair thing to do to fix this thing for you. That's awesome. Go to the next one. Uh, I was going to give uh, a biblical history of, of um, the court of equity. I don't have time today. We'll do it on another day, okay? But the, the, the modern history of it is back in uh, King Arthur's time. Remember, like Camelot? Right? What happened was they, the king would set up his own court, his court of equity, so that he could right wrongs that the court of law could not fix. Okay? So he used his royal power to make things right. Now, when the 13 colonies happened, right, a little U.S. history, we had two courts. We had a court of equity or chancery and a court of law. After the Declaration of Independence and the Revolutionary War, Americans, we like our buy one, get one free, right, BOGO, whoo, two for one sale. We wrapped them up together and we made it under one cause of action, which is bad for us because we threw out a bunch of the stuff like we do the fair thing and there's no technicalities. Even if it's a, a case that we're, we shouldn't have technicalities, we should do the fair thing, we can't because we wrapped it all in together. Now, that made budgetary sense at the time, right? Instead of having two court systems, we have one. Um, but that's really not helping us any. It doesn't help you. It hurts you. Go to the next one. So, why does that have to do with us? Because God's court system is not a court of law. Whenever you hear stuff like the judgment of God, the white throne judgment, right? The judgment seat of Christ in the day of judgment, whoo, right? You're all thinking court of law because that's what we're brought up on. You know what? And hell is more than happy to keep you there because guess what? You know, under a court of law, he reigns because he legally owns the planet. So if he can get you into a court of law, he's got the advantage. That ain't God's court system, though. God does the fair thing every time. That's good news, right? There's no technicalities in God's court. So uh, his court is a court of righteousness or equity. Go to the next one. Now, what that tells me is that God hands down judgments or sentences. He makes decisions based on the rules of equity, not the rule of law. And we are a nation under the rule of law, and we're proud of it. Right? And whenever you hear that Judeo-Christian values, you ever heard that? That's code for rule of law. Okay? It comes from Ten Commandments. You need to quit being proud of being part of that because if you're part of that, who, Satan has the advantage in that court every single time. That's why good people lose in court cases all the time. It's very rare for somebody who's right and upright and a good person to win in a court of law. Isn't that the truth? Think about nasty divorces, right? Because a divorce would be an equity case. Nobody's really broken the law, but everybody, each rights are getting violated. Everybody's trying, the other party's trying to violate the other one's rights by taking everything. A lot of times, the good person in a divorce will get juiced. The one that has a good, the, the one that's tried to follow their conscience and do the right thing, they'll, they'll end up with nothing because they're going to turn the other cheek. That y'all follow me? Yeah, well, if you stay in that area, you are going to lose as a good person. So, so don't operate under the rules of law. I want to operate under the rules of equity. I want the judge to always do the fair thing. And the fair thing is that the person that's the good person and the right person would get the winning judgment, right? That doesn't happen in Christianity very often because most of Christianity is still operating under the rule of law. That's why Christians take it on the teeth all the time. Amen. Hallelujah. Go to the next one. Equity, this is awesome, because equity is higher 
than the law. That means it's got, it, it trumps the law. I don't have to pay royalties for saying Trump, do I? Guys, you probably got the word trademark. Look, equity trumps the law. When a court of equity has jurisdiction for one purpose, it'll take jurisdiction for all purposes. This is awesome because what God's trying to do is just find one little area of your life that he can get you into his court and out of the court of law, then he'll take care of the rest of it. It all carries over. Isn't that good? So that's God's character. He's just looking for one scintilla of something to help you out, and then he'll bring the rest of it along. Now, number two is that a court of equity will not tolerate, I love this, will not tolerate any interference with its officers, its processes, or decrees by the court of law. That means the lowest court of equity in the land, if we had one, trumps the Supreme Court. That is awesome. Because what that means, because who's the God of this world? Satan. And under his law, his law, his court of law, he reigns supreme. He does. That's why Christians, when we're operating in that court, are taking it on the teeth. I keep saying it because I'm trying to drive it home to you, which is why I've been telling you, dump the Ten Commandments. Because if you operate under the law, you will lose every single time. The beauty of this is, is once you get into God's court of equity, he will not tolerate any nonsense from the court of law. And who's running the court of law? Satan. Go to the next one. You notice we haven't gotten any scripture yet? We'll get to it, don't worry. So here's why equity is important to us. Equity is important so we can understand how God makes decisions and how His judgments are handed down. You ever heard that? You know, His ways aren't our ways. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Eye has not seen nor ears heard, right? Y'all heard that, jump? Yeah, well, guess what? You keep losing, Dublins. I am going to find out how he hands down judgments. And when I do, then I can be on the winning side every time. See, because when judgment comes down, that's a good day if you're on the winning side of the judgment, isn't it? If, if someone was handing out a $2 million judgment and you were on the winning side, wouldn't that mean payday? Yeah. Woo-hoo! Right? But if you're on the other side of it and you have to pay out the $2 million, that's not so good. So what I want to do is find out how does the judge make his decisions, and if I play inside those rules, then I can win. Well, fortunately for us, there is a set of rules on how judgments are handed down in a court of equity. They're called the maxims of equity, and I, and I, and I took them out of Gibson's Fifth Law Book, right? Gibson's Fifth Edition on page 62, so y'all look it up. You get the, I, I gave you the exact title last week. I'm not going to get into it again, but go to the next one. Here's the first two rules I'm going to talk about today. We're going to skip over the first one after I hit it real quick because we talked about it for six months in 2007. Here's the first rule of the court is that righteousness or equity acts upon the person forcing him to do what conscience requires. Because if you violate your conscience, you cannot get a winning judgment in God's court. Did you hear that? This is 90% or better of your winning, losing percentage. If you don't violate your conscience 90% of the time, you, you, you take away a loss. You'll win 90% of the time just by not violating your conscience. Now remember, I'm going to hit this real quick. Do you remember that there was two kinds of conscience in the Bible? A good conscience and an evil conscience? You all kind of like, remember accessing that tape? Remember that an evil conscience was also known as a guilty conscience, which was activated under the law. Do you remember that? That guilt didn't come before the Ten Commandments. Remember, the law came 435 years after the covenant because people were messing up and they didn't know it. So in order for God to protect the covenant line, He threw the law down as a band-aid so that they would feel guilty when they crossed that line and then come back. I mean, that's under a court of law. That guilt comes from law. A guilty conscience is under law. Now, when you move and you get born again, you move over into the good conscience you are, remember it says that you are who are joined to the Lord are one spirit. That means your spirit and the Holy Spirit mixes like coffee and creamer. Y'all remember that? I put the creamer in the coffee mix up. You can't separate it anymore. And the word conscience, if you remember, means co-perceiver or co-perception. So that you know, you perceive everything that the Holy Ghost knows, you'll know too. And remember over in 1 John 5, it said that the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit all bear witness together, and the three are one. Now, what that tells me is that the Father's will always matches up with the written word, and the written word 
will always match up with what the Holy Ghost knows and tells you, so your conscience will never tell you anything against God's will or God's Word. If you violate your conscience or it is seared, you will lose because God cannot give you a winning judgment in His court if you violated your conscience. Y'all following that? So, think about that the next time you're about to make a decision. And if you can't hear your conscience, then think about this. Like, would God's Word, is it His will, would the Word line up with Him? Would the Holy Ghost tell me to stuff my face full of those potato chips and plop down on the couch? Would He agree with that? Would He agree with me being lazy? Because what's the first thing in the nine things was diligence, right? So I know that being lazy is violating my conscience. I'm not telling you not to get rest time, but what I'm telling you is don't be lazy. There's a difference. You all understand that there's a difference between getting rest and being lazy? Okay. So if you're being lazy, you're not being diligent, it's a violation of your conscience. Can you get a winning sentence in God's court? No. Don't blame Him. Listen, this is great news because all you have to do is not violate your conscience. And 90% of the time you'll win. And I'll tell you another thing is that your conscience will never tell you to violate any of the other rules. If you can't remember any of the other rules, just go back to rule number one because rule number one will keep you from violating any of the other rules. So you could really mash that up to about 100% of the time if you wanted to, but then my series would be done and I'd have nothing to do for the next year and a half. (laughs) Amen. So, okay, rule number two. Righteousness will not suffer a wrong without a remedy, a healing, a restoration, or a betterment righteousness, now in the court of equity, God will not allow you to be wronged without there being a fix to the wrong. Isn't that good? If you don't know that rule, because what I did is I borrowed one from rule number five. Now I put it on your sheet under rule number two because it goes really with rule number two. I'll teach it under rule number five, but it's righteousness abhors a forfeiture of rights. If you forfeit your rights, nothing God can do about it. In His court, if you come in and you forfeit your rights, God cannot give you a winning judgment. Now, if you don't know what your rights are, you'd probably forfeit, your, forfeit them, wouldn't you? In this case, ignorance is not bliss. If you don't know what your rights are, you can't assert them. Here's your rights. If you've ever been wronged, you get a healing, you get restoration, or you get betterment. If you've ever been wronged, there is a remedy for it. Do not forfeit the fact that if you've been wronged, it's got to be made right. You hold God to it. It's His rule. If you don't hold him to it, and you'd be like, well, that's all right, I'll get it next time. You just forfeited your right, it's over. God, can you've handcuffed him. Y'all found this? This is huge. If you don't know that it's your right, you might just let it go. And even if you do know it's your right, you might let it go if you're tired. See, this is why good people who know the Word, that know healing scriptures, right? The fight gets so big for them, the pain is too great in their body, they'll forfeit the right to be having the healing because they just can't keep the fight up any longer. That's why good people die. Same thing with why good people, right, end up in lack and die poor. Because they just can't keep the fight up any longer. And when you give up, when you stop, remember reference patience, the quality that refuses to give up in the nine things. If you give up, you have forfeited your right. That's why we never say die, we never say poor, we never say it's over. Because it ain't over till you say it's over. But the second you say it's over, it's over. Y'all found this? Okay. Have we even gotten a scripture yet today? Go to the next one. Healing. I'm going to take these three things. These three remedies are healing, restoration, and betterment. Now we're going to take them and we'll pick them apart a little bit, okay? Healing. This is what the word healing means. Now I know we all think of it as sickness in our body and we get made better. Isn't that what we think? Watch how this is applied. To restore to health or soundness, to make well again, to cause the cure or recovery of the sick or the wounded, to free from guilt or grief and worry, to free from grief and worry, and to make whole. Now, how many of you know I could apply that to not just my body, restore to health? What if my checkbook or my finances aren't healthy? Do they need some healing? It could be made whole, couldn't it? I mean, no, and if, and if my finances ain't healthy, i probably got some grief or worry going on. So if I get my finances healed, I could get, erase that, heal, that grief and worry. I mean, no, that's healing. That's part, of your, that's part of your rights under the court of equity. That whatever is wrong, it'll be made whole again. You, ever, you know, you make me sick. You ever hear that? Right? Part of, my, part of my covenant is that you stop making me sick. Now get away from me. Amen. Right? I'm just I'm, I'm trying to make it humorous. But anything that makes you sick... Right? That's a wrong. Anything that you would say, this makes me sick. 
That's a wrong being done to you. Under the courts of equity, you have the right to get it fixed. Don't, don't let it go. If you let it go, whose fault is it? It's yours. It's not God's because God can't do anything if you forfeited your right. All right, now go to the next one. Now we got some scripture. Whoo, finally. Isaiah 53 and verse 3. Now I want you to understand, this was written about 750 years before step number 9 of the covenant, which was the cross. And right before that is when, he, when Jesus was beat. Y'all remember that? Here, now listen to what he says. 750 years prior to the fact. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Y'all know we're talking about Jesus, right? You listen to Handel's Messiah, you know that's what he's talking about. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Now I want you to notice, 750 years before Jesus took stripes on his back, this scripture and under the court of equity, you are present tense healed. Even though Jesus took stripes on his back 700 years into the future. Did you see that? See? Are healed. Now, go to the next one. 1 Peter 2, 24. Peter's quoting this after Jesus died. This is about 64 AD. About 30 years after Jesus took stripes on his back. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. Step number 9 of the covenant. That we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness. What's righteousness? So how should we live unto what? Equity, not the law. Jesus died so that we could live under the rules of what? Equity. And because of that, by whose stripes ye were healed. Past tense. You've already been healed. Under the rules of the court of equity, you don't have to wait for your healing. It already happened now 2,000 years ago. Did you all see this? Did you see how it switched? So, don't be waiting for God to heal you because He ain't going to. He already did. Well, how come it didn't show up on my body yet? Assert your right. And keep asserting your right. My right is that I am healed. Not I'm going to get healed. Not someday I'll be healed. No, I'm already healed. God, it's your rules. It's your court. You made it up. I didn't. Thank you. I accept the healing. Body line up with the Word. Because your body will lie to you, you know that? Every time I run, it tells me I'm going to die. It's lying. No matter how... <laughs> yeah, guess what? Three minutes after I'm done running, it's all back to normal and it's like, oh, that's better. Your body will lie to you. Y'all see that? And it's your right to be healed. You've already, Jesus is not going to do one more thing for it. It's already happened. Assert your right now. What happens if you don't live your life according to the rules of equity? Let's say you're trying to do, you know, the right thing. And, you know, not cuss, drink, smoke, or chew, or go out with those that do. Or, you know, try to do your good checklist. And, you know, you might have missed it last week some. But I'm a good person, God. You know, I'm, I, miss my, I know I missed my quiet time or I missed church last week. But, you know, on balance, I'm a good person. What would happen? Go to the next one. Deuteronomy 28. Remember the curse of the law? Ah, well, what would happen is that if you don't observe to do all the words in this law, and how many know you can't? That are written in this book that you may fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God. Then the Lord will make these plagues, and, uh, these plagues wonderful. He'll make them wonderful. And they'll be of thy seed. That means your kids will get it. And there'll be great plagues of long continuance and sore sickness and of long continuance. He said it again. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, the ones that you are afraid of, and they'll cleave unto you. And also every sickness, every plague that is not written in this book of the law, that's any one that I didn't mention in here. You know the ones that haven't been around yet, like AIDS, right? Them will the Lord bring upon you and you'll be destroyed. See, if you get over into the court, that's why hell wants you in a court of law. Because you can't keep everything that's in the law. And then when you're playing in a court of law, you're on his territory and sickness. You've got no shot of getting healed. I don't care how many healing scriptures you say. I don't care how many faith confessions you put out there. I don't care how many healing lines you go through. 
If you're under the law, you lose. Did everybody see this? That's why you've got to dump the Ten Commandments. Dump them. You've got to live according to your conscience. Because that's the first one, right? I mean, living according to your conscience is much easier than trying to remember everything that's in the law anyway. You don't have to remember nothing. Now, don't forfeit your right to healing. Don't take yourself out of the court of equity and place yourself in the court of law. Don't do it. If you're doing stuff out of obligation, if you're doing things out of guilt, if you're doing things right to build brownie points with God so He'll like you better, you have placed yourself in a court of law. You cannot win there. And then don't be blamed. Don't be like, God, I don't know how this happened because I'm doing really good and I'm not doing the bad stuff. I'm a good person. Good people get fried in a court of law every day. You don't want to be in a court of law. I want to be in a court of equity where they do the fair thing. Y'all following this? Am I beating it too hard? All right, let's go to the next one. Restoration. Now, this one gets a little tricky, right? Anybody ever been stolen from? Okay. Here's what the word restoration. To bring into existence or effect again, to restore peace. To bring back to the original condition or position and to give back something lost or stolen. So if you got ripped off, under a court of equity, they've got to make it right. If you lost anything under a court of equity, it's got to be made right. Now, so see, it says bring back into or bring into existence or effect again. Let's just take it for an example, somebody who was married and then they got divorced. I mean, you know, that relationship got ripped off from them, whether the other person ran around or whatever. I mean, you know, under this, under a court of equity, it can be restored to you and better. You can, not that relationship, but a marriage relationship can be restored. You don't want to get back in that same puddle of mud. Copy? Amen. Did you all see what I'm saying? So this doesn't apply to your money or your checkbook. It can apply to any area of your life that you have a loss in. Any area of your life that there's been a loss, it can be fixed under a court of equity. That's good news. Now, under Old Testament law, I just want you to see this, that if somebody stole something, if they stole one ox or one cow, they had to give back five. I like that. So restoration is like a pretty good way to make cash, isn't it? I'm going to leave my car unlocked so I can get five. Right? If you have somebody stole one sheep, they have to give back four under the law. Right? Plus, then you get a 20% restocking fee on everything. Right? An upcharge. You can make some serious... I mean, you can make a good living by getting ripped off under Old Testament law. Right? I mean, that's a pretty good deal, ain't it? All right, go to the next one. Here in Luke 19... In verse 1, we see the story of Zacchaeus. Y'all remember Zacchaeus? Or Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man. Remember that? Okay, here's the story. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was the chief among the publicans. Not the republicans, but the publicans. Now, he was a tax collector, and he was rich, right? He could have been a republican. And he sought to see Jesus who he was. Everybody's talking about Jesus, a big crowd here. He's like, who is this guy? Now, he could not for the press. The crowd was so big, and he was a little man, a little stature. So, right, so he ran before the crowd. He climbed up into a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus because Jesus was going to pass that way. He's coming down the street. He gets a good, uh, you know, bird's eye view. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him and he said, Zacchaeus, now he ain't never met this guy before. I mean, that would blow your mind, wouldn't it? Zacchaeus, make haste and come down here. For today, I'm going to abide at your house. Look at Jesus inviting himself over for dinner to the rich guy's house. Did you notice Jesus didn't invite himself over to the homeless guy's house? All right, so go on to the next one. And he made haste, and he came down and received him joyfully. And when everybody saw it, they murmured, saying, what are they saying? That he was going to be a guest with that man that's a sinner. I can't believe he didn't pick me. That's what they're saying. All right, now you, you know, he's a sinner. That guy's ripping people off. In verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and he said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I'll restore to him fourfold. That's under a Old Testament law. That's all Zacchaeus knew. He knew that if I stole anything, I'm giving it back four times. And then he went and he said, I'm giving half of my stuff to the poor. Now, is Zacchaeus looking for restoration? I think he is, because the very next verse, which isn't up there, it says, Jesus said, salvation has come to your house today. Is he looking for it? I think he is. I think he realized I'm a sinner. Jesus is in my house. 
I'm going to give back half, you know, give back four times what I stole from anybody and half my stuff I'm going to give to the poor. Jesus said, salvation's come to your house today. Is he looking for restoration? I think he is. In order to get it, though, he had to give restoration first. Go to the next one. Under the court of equity, Proverbs 6 and verse 30, this is under equity. Now, how do you know this is under equity? Because Proverbs and Ecclesiastes were written largely by Solomon. And I don't have time to get into it today. Maybe we'll do it next week. But that's where the original court of equity on earth was, was King Solomon. He was the original judge under equity on earth. And he wrote, all his books are written. They don't match up with the law. They match up with court of equity. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, okay? So if you want to know more about equity, read Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Proverbs 6 and verse 30 says, Man do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his own soul when he's hungry. You know, we'll feel sorry for them if they're stealing because they're hungry, right? He said, but if he's found, he shall restore how much? Sevenfold. Now, under law, he was only supposed to do four times, remember? But under equity, well, that hurts, doesn't it? Sevenfold, and he shall give all the substance of his house. Now, underneath, I got in the Amplified Version, because it breaks it down a little, because that sounds all. Well, what if he couldn't pay seven? Here it says in verse 31 in the Amplified, it says, But if he's found out, he must restore seven times what he stole. He must give the whole substance of his house, if necessary, to meet his fine. So he's got to give everything that he's got. Under equity. Now, Zacchaeus, in order to get restoration, he gave some, didn't he? He gave restoration first, didn't he? In order to get... So if you're looking for restoration... Let me ask you. Have any of you ever heard, you might even claim this, that the devil stole from me and he's got to give back seven times what he stole. Sevenfold return. The devil stole from me and he's got to give it back sevenfold. You ever heard that? I've been stolen from and he's got to give it back seven times. Have you ever known anybody to give back seven times anything that was stolen from him? Have you? But that's the word, ain't it? So, do you guys have your rules of righteousness sheets there? Reference down to rule number six. We'll teach on this for a while later on. But rule number six is this. What? That if you seek equity, you got to do equity, don't you? So if you seek... Now remember, I told you the covenant is reciprocal, right? So if you want to get back sevenfold, then anything that you stole, you really need to give back sevenfold. In order to... Right? So go to the next one. Luke 6, verse 36 says... Verse 36 says this, Be thou for merciful, be merciful as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you won't be judged. Condemn not, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given to you. Right? So if you restore, and it shall be restored to you. If you're looking for restoration, you better make sure that you have restored everything that you stole from anybody else, or you caused loss in their life. It's just the rules of equity. Why? Because forgive, and it shall be forgiven. If you're looking to be forgiven something, then you need to forgive. If you're hanging on to something, how many know you're not going to get forgiven? Because you reap what you sow. If you sow unforgiveness, you're going to reap. This is just a covenant. And it's, cl- it's clearly stated in the Bible that if, if you want to be restored, then you've got to make sure that you have restored everything that you've taken. Did you all follow that? We'll teach on this a lot more when we get to rule number six. But if you're not given any equity, can God give you any of his equity? See, here's the covenant. We want the equity, but we don't want to give none. Amen, Andrew. That's right. So if you don't have a lot of God's equity in your life, it's probably because you haven't given him any. And your little stuff is little compared to his big stuff that he's waiting to give you. You know what? I'll just hit it. Come on, come on over here to Malachi. Be like, well, I didn't steal nothing. All right. Look at Malachi verse 8. It says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, Wherein have you robbed me? In tithes and offerings. Remember, tithes is just part of offering. So you're cursed with a curse because you've robbed me, even this whole nation. 
Well, Andrew, I thought you said we didn't have the tithe. You don't. Under the law, you do. And if you do, if you do it out of obligation, you're going to lose. But does God really want your money? Does He need it? Does He need your little 10% of your offer? No. So what? So He don't. He's, you're not. You're, people are like, see, you're stealing from God. What you have robbed God was the opportunity to give you His equity. Do you see this? It's not that. It, see, people that do it out of obligation, out of the law, think that it's I'm stealing from God because He needs my little 10%. He don't. He don't need what your offering is. Okay. It's not going to break His bank. The Hummer payment in heaven is getting made whether you give or you don't give. Isn't that right? His mansion ain't getting foreclosed on, is it? No. But hey, so what have you done? Is you've robbed him. When you don't give, then you rob him of giving you his equity. Do you see this? This is the same thing. That's why it says, given it'll be given back to you. That's why when Noah, he gave his stuff first, God immediately cut covenant with him. Remember when he gave the deep fried turkey? He gave one-seventh of all his food. Do you all remember that? In covenant for uh, rookies. Then Abraham gave. When he got that nine cities of wealth, he came back and he gave tithes of all to Melchizedek. Then immediately God cut covenant and gave him equity. If you want equity, you have to give God something first. Because whose planet does this belong to right now? Who, who belong? Satan. God has no legal right to come here onto the planet and do anything for you until you invite him and do something for him. That gives him the legal entrance to give you his equity. Until that happens, God is handcuffed under the rules of equity. Do you all follow this? So if you want equity, you've got to give equity. I mean, that's the same thing in a marriage relationship. If I want something from Kimmy, I've got to give it to her. If I want her to do stuff for me, how I many know I need to do stuff for her? It ain't a one-way street. Yet, in the covenant, it is very one way. We're heavy on getting the stuff, but little on giving. Amen. That's right, Andrew. Go to the next one. We better get off that, right? Betterment. Now, I like this because betterment means this. It means three things. To enrich, <laughs> to advance, and to promote. See, when you place yourself under the rules of equity and out from the rule of law, it'll make your life better. Make your life better. I mean, that's one of your rights. Don't forfeit the right to have a better life. See, because if I thought that this was it, man, I might as well just curse God and die. I mean, seriously, if this is it, if I'm at where it's never going to get any better than this, why, what in the world? You know, what a cruel God that is. No, under his court, you always have the right for things to be better. No matter how good they get, with God, it, he, it's your right that it will always get better. Is that being greedy? No. That's the character of God. He always wants things better for you, no matter how good they are. If you think, wow, this is so good it couldn't get any better, you've just taken yourself out from the court of equity. Because it can always get better with God. And He'll find a way to make it better if you don't forfeit that right. I love that. I refuse to give up that my life could be better. I'm not going to forfeit that right to anybody. Nobody. Copy? You guys with? Don't you do it either. You know, you could pay your house off tomorrow. No, I couldn't. Well, you just forfeited your right. <coughs> See how easy I got you to forfeit your right? Five seconds. Go to the next one. Let's say to promote first. This means to promote somebody means to appoint them to a higher position or rank. This kind of falls in line with honor, doesn't it? Yeah. Put you in a position of honor. How does promotions come? Go to the next one. Psalm 75 and verse 6 says, For promotion comes neither from the east nor the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. And he puts down one and sets up another. You ever heard this? And you'd be like, well, see, if I'm not getting promoted, it's just, you know, it doesn't come from the north or the south, the east or the west. It's just God, he puts up one and lays down the other. I guess God's just putting me down today. No, he tells you God's what? He's the what? He's the judge. And what kind of judge is he in what kind of court? He's a fair judge in a court of equity. So do you want to know how God puts one down and sets another one up? According to the rules of? Equity, because that's how he makes his decisions, right? So this isn't a mystery anymore for you. If you could never figure out why you ain't getting promoted, it's probably because you're not operating under the rules of equity. Go to the next one. Proverbs 4. Remember, Proverbs is under Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are books written about equity. Proverbs 4 and verse 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Now let's stop and remember what wisdom is. 
Remember, wisdom is our what? Decider. Do you remember that? That if we make decisions based on the filter of the Word, how many know that will help us get riches on in life? Isn't that right? So if you make decisions that aren't based on that, guess what? You just hung yourself out to dry, right? That's why he said wisdom's a principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her. That means what? I mean, like, I, I, you know, burn incense to wisdom or something? Set up a little shrine? No, that, that means is I give wisdom a high place in my life. It's a high priority to get wisdom. It's a high priority to understand the workings of things according to the Word of God. It's a priority. Not sitcoms, not NASCAR, not football. Wisdom. When you exalt her, guess what? Entertainment and all that other junk comes down here because I need to find out how God makes decisions. And when I find out how God makes decisions and I line up make my decisions the same way, I get a winning judgment. If that ain't important to you, then you're not going to get promoted. Just be straight up. Just reading the Bible. He says, so with all your understanding, or with thy getting, get understanding. With all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her. And she shall do what? Promote thee. So if you make wisdom a priority in your life, getting things and making decisions based on the filter of the Word, then she is going to automatically promote you. That's how God lifts one up. You make your decisions based on the filter of the Word, and you will get promoted. She shall bring thee honor when you embrace her. How many know it ain't just a handshake? Ah, it's nice to meet you, Wisdom. Call me sometime. Call my people and your people get together and do lunch. No, embrace her. That's an intimate relationship. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace and a crown of glory she shall deliver to thee. If you don't have one, a crown of glory, if you're not in a position of honor, it's probably because you haven't embraced or exalted wisdom. Right? And you forfeited your right to be promoted. You forfeit your right. It's not a mystery how God hands this stuff down. It's not a, he's not, he doesn't change one day and, and do something different. In fact, right there in Malachi, a few verses up uh, from verse 8, I think it's verse 6 or 5, it says, I am the Lord and I change not. And then over in Hebrews 13, it says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He don't change. It's not a mystery. He lays it down plain and easy for us to follow. It's a road map. It's very simple. Turn by turn directions. Go to the next one. Enrich. I like that. I mean, I want to be enriched. The meaning of the word enrich means this, to improve the quality of the value of. To improve, right, the quality of the value of. How many know I want my value to go up? They call it what? Personal net worth? I want mine to be bigger. Go to the next one. Proverbs 10 and verse 22 says this, that the blessing of the Lord will make you rich and he adds no sorrow with it. This is probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Now, remember what the word blessing is? Do you all remember? Two things. God kneeling down and giving you a gift, and what was the, the cultural meaning? Consistently lucky success. Do you all remember that? So, the consistently lucky success of the Lord, does he have consistently lucky success? I would think that if God tripped and fell in a mud puddle, he'd come up with probably two gold watches. I mean, that's how lucky God is, isn't it? He said, then that same luck come upon you, it'll make you rich. And there's no sorrow with it. No sorrow with it. That's good. Because you can get riches with a lot of sorrow. That got it through toil and got it through their way and got it through the world system, there's a lot of sorrow with it. I mean, you can avoid all that if you just get it the way God gives it to you and follow the rules of equity. Not bootstrapping it, not doing it by the law. Go to the next one. Proverbs 23.4 says, Labor not to be rich. Cease from your own wisdom. Again, here's another tip-off, right? If you're trying to get rich and you're making decisions based on anything other than the filter of the Word, remember the other kinds of wisdom? There was sensual wisdom. Do you all remember this? Going back, remember sensual wisdom, making decisions based on what you see, what you hear, what you feel. Then there's worldly wisdom, earthly wisdom, that's based on everybody else's experience. And then there was devilish wisdom based on ambition and competition. Do you all remember that? Okay, if you're making decisions based on anything other than the wisdom, that's your wisdom. 
Guess what? You, you're, you will not get promoted. You will not get enriched. Your life will not be made better. And I, you know what? This is simple. It's easy. Of course not. I mean, of course not. It's not rocket science. If you make decisions based on what you know, which, I mean, you've done that in the past. How'd that work out? Go to the next one. Proverbs 28 and verse 20. A faithful man shall abound with blessings. Remember what's blessings again? Consistently lucky what? Success. And that's plural. So success is. A faithful man. Who, who will have consistently lucky successes? A faithful man. If you ain't faithful, will you have consistently lucky successes? If you don't have a track record of consistently lucky successes, then you might want to check up and say, am I faithful? Because the reverse is true, right? If you're faithful, you have consistently lucky success. If you're not having consistently lucky success, back the truck up and take inventory, am I being faithful? The answer is no. No. Because if you were, you'd have consistently lucky successes. But he that makes haste to be rich shall not be innocent. I mean, there's a lot of those people out there that'll do whatever to get riches, including steal from you, trade on relationships, right? And because of the technicalities of the law, they get off. Don't you be one of those people, because guess what? You won't be innocent. That means you take yourself out from getting a winning judgment from God. You don't want to be somebody that's in a hurry to hurry up, and you'll step on anybody and do whatever it takes. You ever heard that? We're going to do whatever it takes. I don't use that because I'm not going to do whatever it takes to get it done. I'm going to do what my conscience tells me. I'm going to do what the Word says to get it done. I'm not going to do whatever it, quote, takes. Because if you're one of those people that will do whatever it takes, you've taken yourself out from the court of equity. Okay, go to the next one. To advance. Now, I like this one. Because I want to advance. I want to, it says, to move forward. Or forward movement. To make progress. To develop and improve. This is your right under the courts of equity. Do not forfeit the right to advance. To move forward. To make progress. To develop and improve. I know a lot of people that forfeit this right. How many know if you, in order to develop and improve, the responsibility of that lies on you? If you don't take on the responsibility of moving forward, ain't nobody else going to do it for you. And you have forfeited your right to advance. Go to the next one. James 4 and verse 10 says this, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Now, the word humble we said before was that you just believe and act like God's smarter than you. Remember that? We just believe and act like God's smarter than us? See, now, if that was really true, if we did believe that God was smarter than us, we'd take these rules, how He makes judgments, we'd learn them and start living by them. Because if God's smarter than us, and He says, this is how I hand down riches, honor, and life. This is how I hand down a winning judgment. If you're smart, you'll do what He said. If you think, well, you know, God knows what He's talking about, I better do that one. But we're not, because what we do is we get our neck up or whatever and we try to do it according to our own wisdom, and that takes us out of the game. So look over here in Psalm 25, because I want to tell you, being humble is the same thing as being meek, which is being teachable. Right? Is it? Really? I mean, here, because listen, if you think that God's smarter than you, if He taught you something, wouldn't you do it? You would learn it, wouldn't you? But if you thought you knew more than God, you wouldn't learn it. Right? Are you following? All right, let me just use, all right, here's an example. We'll just take Jack because he don't mind when I use his name. Jack's in second grade, and his second grade teacher is a lady that's been teaching for over 30 years. Right? If Jack was humble, when she tells him something, he'll assimilate that information and do it. Jack sometimes not so humble because he'd be like, that ain't right. And tell her what? Whatever it is that he thinks is not right. That's not being humble. Can you see that? That's a lot of times what we do. We're like second graders going up before God. He says, here's how you can get riches on in life. We go, that ain't right. And then we go make, do stuff according to how we think. Y'all following that? Now, in Jack's defense, when he says that ain't right, he's usually saying something that he already knows in the Word. And what she's saying ain't lining up with what he knows in the Word. 
So I got to give him props. We don't tell him that, though, because I don't want to get him cocky. You know what I'm saying? So. Be like, yeah, no, nah, sickness don't belong to you. That ain't right. You know, see, that ain't been, but he's right. But we don't want to tell him. Okay, y'all follow that. All right. So come on over here, right, to uh, Psalm 25, y'all there. All right, and I look over here and, um, uh, like, let's start in verse 8. He says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he will teach sinners in the way. Now, are sinners wicked people? What's the word sin mean? To miss the mark or to settle for less. So a sinner would be just somebody who settles for less, right? So he said, listen, if you've been settling for less than riches, honor, and life, I'm going to teach you my way. So if you're humble, you're going to listen, right? Okay, so the next thing he said, the meek, he will guide in what? Judgment. And how does God hand down judgments? According to the rules of? equity. He says, so I'll guide you in judgment and the meek I'll teach his way. He's going to teach us his way. And all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as what? Keep his what? Covenant and his testimony. So listen, he says, look guys, I'm going to, I'll walk you through all my judgments if you keep my covenant. If you give me all you have, I'll give you all that I have and I'll walk you through getting it. But if you're not humble, you're not me, you're not teachable, and you're going to be like, yeah, and you keep. And here, really, it isn't that you don't accept what is being said or the word. No one would say, no, that ain't right. But what happens is you'll say that, that that's right, yeah, and I agree with that. But then you'll go and make decisions, again, based on something other than the wisdom of the word. That's the part where you're not being humble. That's the part of, see, now, again, let's go back to Jack. He'll be like, yeah, okay. Right, and he'll tell you yes, and then go do something different. Like Jack, go clean your room. Okay. Four hours later, he ain't done one thing on his room. Is he being humble? No. I just didn't think it as being as cocky as when he said that ain't right. He said okay, yeah, that's right, and then did whatever he wanted. That's what we do. No one will say, you know what, God, your word now. I don't believe that. You'll say, of course, you wouldn't say that. But your life won't match up. But you'll go do whatever. Play Game Boy instead of cleaning your room. He's got a thick skin, man. I can hammer him. He's good to go. All right, go to the next one. 1 Peter 5, in case you didn't get it the first time he said it, 1 Peter 5 and verse 6, right? He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. What's due time? Now! It's due time that I've had riches on in life. It's due time that you have riches on in life. It's due time that you walk in this. But, and then he helps us a little bit, though, because then he says, casting all your cares for him, for he cares for you. And again, this is the, if you aren't humble, what you'll do is go, yeah, God, I understand that's right. And then you'll go try to do it on your own, which is not casting your care on him. You're going to use your wisdom and what you see and what you hear and what your experience tells you to go do. And now you've taken yourself out, out of the rules of equity. Do you all see that? You can't, see, that's not a, a humble person is somebody that will let God do his thing. If I really believe God, that he's smarter than me, then when he says, this is how I hand down my judgments, then I throw myself on the mercy of the court and allow him to do his thing and make the judgment. If I don't really believe that, even though I said it, I don't really believe that, I get up there and I think, man, you know what, the judgment ain't coming fast enough. Maybe I need to go do something else. And so you leave the courtroom and go do something different while he's working. See, you don't really believe God because you've left before you got your judgment. And now what you do is you forfeited your right. Are you guys seeing it? Are you tracking with me on this? Because this is what we do. That's what Abraham did. Abraham cut covenant, remember? They did the, the figure eight walk and he gets up and he goes home and Sarah says, listen, God's keeping me from getting pregnant. Why don't you go sleep with Hagar? And he said, okay. He didn't wait for the judgment. He took himself out, didn't he? And ran and tried to work it out on his own. And I mean, that problem has still not ceased to exist. So when you run ahead and you don't trust that God, when I trust that these are the rules, I trust that you, your character is, that you're going to do what you said you'll do, now I'm, I'm going to wait for the judgment. 
and it don't come as fast as you want, you go running off and try to work it out on your own, guess what? You took yourself out from the rules of equity. You have forfeited your right to have a healing, a restoration, or a betterment. You forfeited the remedy. Really, and what was it? Because we just got tired of waiting. And when I say waiting, I mean, I ain't sitting around doing nothing. You know, if you go to any restaurant that's nice around town, they have the wait staff. Are the wait staff sitting in the back chomping gum doing nothing? No, they're waiting. Aren't they? Busy, busy, busy going about their, the business that they're in. How many know that's what you need to be doing, waiting, being about the business of getting riches, honor, and life? Not trying to work it out on your own. Every day you should be doing something to increase your knowledge that will get you closer to the riches, honor, and life. Every day. Now, if you're not going forward, then you're going backwards. Nobody is static in life. Proverbs 1, I'm going to read this out of the Amplified Version. Proverbs 1 and verse 30 says, this is, this is not being humble. You would accept none of my counsel and you despise, remember the word despise means you didn't deem it worthy of your attention, my reproof. So when God gives you counsel and he corrects you, if you deem that unworthy of your attention, making the course correction, he said you will eat the fruit of your own way. And you'll be satiated or made full with your own devices. So you keep doing your plan. He said, and your plan will not produce riches without sorrow. Your plan is not going to produce healing, restoration, or betterment. He said, but you go ahead. You, but you handcuff me. Because God, he, you know what? If you don't listen to what his correction is, if you don't go follow what the rules of his court are, guess what? He can't do anything and you're going to eat the fruit of your own way. So if you're tired of eating the fruit of your own way, maybe you should get back on the, all right, God, what are my correct course corrections train and find out what course corrections you should make from him. Otherwise, keep eating the fruit of your own way. If it's good, keep eating it. He said, but for the backsliding of the simple shall slay them and the careless ease of fools shall destroy them. So if you're not moving forwards, if you're not moving forward towards riches, honor, and life, you are going backwards. And, how, and the easiest, that last line, I'll tell you, the easiest way for you to move backwards is to just have careless ease. Go ahead and be complacent. Just relax. It's all good. Have a Coke and a smile, right? It's 5 o'clock somewhere, Margaritaville, whatever. Right? Be happy, man. Happy smoke, whatever. However you want to put it, just relax. You know, you're going backwards. I, I you know... What are you saying, we can't have any downtime? No, but your downtime should be planned in just like Jesus planned his downtime. And his downtime had a purpose. It was for him to re regroup and relax before he could get back on and, and go forward again. But if you're not driving, see, most of us, we ain't driving. We're still going back. We're, it's just, you know, we're going through. We're tired when we get home from work. I understand that. But if you keep doing the same thing you're doing, five years from now, you're going to end up still doing what you're doing. At some point, you've got to be like, you know what, I'm tired, but I'm tired of living the way I'm living more than I'm tired of my body's tired after work. I'm going to increase my brain housing. I'm going to increase my knowledge. And I'm going to be diligent about increasing my knowledge. I'm going to be diligent about moving towards riches on our life. Hey, we all get tired. Just getting practical. Because if you're that tired that you just say, oh, I'm just, then guess what? Tomorrow you're going to be that tired. And tomorrow will turn into a, next week you'll be that tired. And two months from now you'll be that tired. Next thing you know, ten Christmases have gone by and you're looking for your retirement check and you're miserable because I've got ten more years till I can retire. And you, you know what? You have settled for your life is not getting any better. You have forfeited your right. And every day you have the ability to either assert your right for a better life or forfeit your right for a better life. That's profound right there. I better play that over in my head a few times. I can't believe that just came out of my mouth. Did you all hear that? That you can, every day you have the ability to assert your right for a better life or forfeit your life for a better life. Every day. Assert the right or forfeit it. It's up to you. Every single day. I absolutely refuse to forfeit something that belongs to me. I hate leaving stuff on the table. 
If there was a pile of cash on the table, would you get up and walk out and leave it there and it was your cash? That's stupid, but we do it every day. Because we don't see a pile of cash in front of us. And that's sensual wisdom. Because I don't see it right in front of me physically. You know what? I'm willing to give up an hour of sleep for six months if it'll get me closer to riches on earn life. You gotta pick. And why are you doing entertainment? Why are you doing rest and relaxation? It's gotta be part of your schedule of I'm driving towards riches on earn life. Because otherwise you forfeit having a better life. Stand to your feet with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Seal it in our hearts. Holy Spirit, help us bring this back to our remembrance. You know what? Make us uncomfortable any time that we forfeit our right to have a better life. If we're at that point where we're forfeiting that right, just get all over us to where we're miserable until we move towards what you have set out for us to do. Until we move towards what you have paid uh, the price for us to have by giving up your only son. And move towards the equity that is already ours. And I thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.